The Gospel according to Mark, chapter 11. I'm going to begin reading in verse 20, and I'm reading from the New International Version. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart but believes what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. What I want to suggest today is that this passage has suffered by that dichotomy we draw between the life we live every day and the spiritual life that Jesus talks about. Faith that moves mountains, what does that mean? I am thinking that Jesus is trying to help his disciples to realize that the long history of humanity, our ups and downs and our struggles, have begun to teach us something that Jesus is going to show us how to use to its maximum effect. But because we have so separated out the spiritual from the secular, the real world from the, the heavenly world, we failed to recognize that what's happening here is actually transforming us so we can live properly here. The truth is, the two are one and the same in many ways. And as we wander through this passage, we're going to consider the terms that form the core of it. And those are going to be the points today. So we're going to talk about the phrase, this mountain. What does that mean? That's going to be the first thing we talk about. Second phrase is faith in God. Faith in God. And the third concepts are prayer and forgiveness. Those will be our points today. So we're going to start first by talking about what Jesus meant when he said, this mountain. Verse 23, I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea. That seems strange, right? I mean, if it was just a general saying about mountains and oceans, you might say if anyone wants to throw a mountain into the sea. But this mountain sounds specific. What mountain is he talking about? This mountain. Which mountain? Where is he? Well, for that, we're going to have to go back a little bit in our context. Some of you remember that where we are in the gospel according to Mark, is in the last week of Jesus' earthly life prior to his crucifixion and his resurrection from the dead. And that week began with Jesus riding a donkey into Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover to a lot of fanfare, heralding him in one way or another as the king coming into the city. And then Jesus, after that triumphal entry, as we often call it, wanders into the temple and it's kind of late. He looks around. He doesn't do anything. He leaves. Then he returns the next day, and on that return, he has a lot to say about the temple. He goes in there and he begins chasing people out of the outer courts, yelling at them about having made his father's house, which was supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations, into a den of robbers. And then, on his way into that temple, before they got there, they had passed this fig tree. And the fig tree was green. It had a lot of leaves. And Jesus went over to see if it had any fruit. And it wasn't the season for figs. But given the fig trees in this region of Israel, there should have been unripe figs on it. And he found nothing at all, which indicated to him that that tree, though it looked healthy, it was leafy, was in fact dying. It had no fruit. And so he condemned it. 
And then the next day, they're walking apparently along the same path that they had walked the day before, and they pass that same tree, and it's dead. And that's what prompts Jesus to say all of this. So when he's talking about this mountain, he where is he? Well, it's one of two things. We're either talking about the mountain on which the temple in Jerusalem was built, or we're talking about a mountain probably nearby called the Mount of Olives. And I tend to think we're talking about the Mount of Olives, and I'll tell you why that's important. Everything Jesus does in his ministry is a fulfillment of prophecies spoken hundreds of years before. So nothing in the life of Jesus is novel. It's not new. Matter of fact, his disciples worked very hard to look back and see where what Jesus did was prophesied in their own scriptures by their own prophets. And the prophet that's all over this section of the gospel according to Mark is the prophet Zechariah. It's Zechariah who prophesies that when the Messiah comes, he would ride a donkey into the city of Jerusalem. And so when Jesus does that, Zechariah suddenly comes to the forefront. And there's a passage in Zechariah about the Mount of Olives where Jesus is likely standing because that is the path that, that pilgrims would always take into Jerusalem. It says this. This is Zechariah 14, verses 1 through 5. It says this, A day of the Lord is coming, Jerusalem, when your possessions will be plundered and divided up within your very walls. I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. And then he details some of the things that will happen. On that day, his feet, this is the Lord, will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley with half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. You'll flee by my mountain valley, for it will extend to Azel. You will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. So there is a prophecy that the Jewish people have been living with for hundreds of years by this point, that before God finally came to deliver the people of Israel from their oppression under the nations, that the Mount of Olives, which is a ridge, it's not much of a mountain by our standards, about 2,600 feet, a little bit more, so a small mountain, but it's right across. You can see the temple from it, and if you turned around, you could see the Dead Sea from the other side. So I'm told, I haven't been there. But there's a prophecy they've been living with that when the Lord came, something would have to happen. First, Jerusalem would be ransacked. That had happened several times in their history and was about to happen again. And that mountain, the Mount of Olives, had to be demolished. It had to be split in half and separated so that a wide valley would lead into Jerusalem. The people would be able to flee. But on that valley, the Lord would come and he would walk through the city. So when Jesus says... I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea. He's more or less saying, if you want the Lord to come. If you want the Lord to come. If you want the prophecy to be fulfilled. If you want this, this mountain to be leveled and moved and that valley to be created where the Lord is going to enter into the city. This mountain. Whether this mountain is the Temple Mount or the Mount of Olives, I've argued that it's the Mount of Olives. The concept of the moving of mountains is related by the context to Jesus' judgment on the Temple. And it was a judgment that not only the whips and the chasing of people represented, but the fig tree itself showed that though Israel looked leafy and green, it had no fruit. And God was going to destroy that Temple. But by asking them if they wanted this mountain moved, he more or less says, if you want the Lord to come, let me tell you what needs to happen. So that sets us up in this passage. This mountain, 
Faith in God is this next phrase. For this, we're going to return to verse 22. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, probably the Mount of Olives, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. What does it mean to have faith in God? In many ways, that's the center of this entire passage. Have faith in God. Maybe it's belief, maybe it's conviction, maybe it's earnestness, maybe it's sincerity, faith. But biblically, faith is much more concrete than that. And it's more commonly experienced by the average person than we might suppose. I'm going to give an illustration to get at this, and I think this is what Jesus is doing with the moving mountains stuff. In 2007, a man from India, and I won't pronounce this right, Dashrath Manji is how I would pronounce it. I'll show you the spelling if you're interested. In any case, in 2007, he died from cancer. He had a nickname. It was Mountain Man. Because he and his wife lived in a remote section of India, and they had to travel. They were in a small little village, and to get to any place more cosmopolitan, they had to travel a very difficult road over hilly terrain. And on one of these journeys, his wife slipped and fell, had a serious injury, and because of their distance from medical personnel, she ended up dying. And so this man decided that they needed a more direct route from his village to the larger city, which was still not much of a city, but bigger than where he lived. And the only way to do it was to cut a path through the mountains, something that the people did not want to do. So he spent, he, he armed himself with a hammer and a chisel. And he spent 22 years from 1960 to 1982 carving a path through a hillock, a small hill, in Bihar, India. When he finished, he had cut a path 360 feet long, 30 feet wide, and 25 feet deep, with nothing more than a hammer and a chisel. And as far as we know, nobody helped him. 22 years. That is faith. That is faith. And I'm going to define it for you. It's not a definition you're going to find in a lexicon or a dictionary. It's not one if you did a study of the use of the word pistis, which is faith, in the Greek through all the years it was in use. You probably won't find this definition. But if you look at the way the word faith is used in the scriptures, this definition will rise out of that study. Faith is unwavering belief in the end result of extended and sustained effort. Faith is unwavering belief in the end result of extended and sustained effort. This you can, if you want a proof text, if you need that, 2 Chronicles chapter 34, verses, verse 12, you'll find this use of the word faith, and it's just one example of many. But uh, Hilkiah is rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem, and he has to find workers who are going to work hard and do this over the long haul, and he finds them. And in verse 12, we're told, the workers labored, in my translation says, faithfully. But in the Greek translation of the First Testament, it says the workers labored in faith. And that doesn't mean that they believed something about God while they were working. It means that they worked diligently and didn't stop. The power of that kind of faith 
has been evidenced over and over again throughout human history. In ancient projects like the construction of the Great Pyramid in Egypt, to technological innovations like the airplane and the currently developing ion engines that NASA is working on for interplanetary travel in space, that kind of faith, when people get together and believe in it and don't stop, we have found unbelievable things happen. In the earliest days of Genesis, when humans attempted to build a city on earth that would rival God's dwelling place in the heavens, we find these words. It's in Genesis chapter 11. God said, if as one people speaking the same language they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. That's quite a bold statement to say about humans. How did God know nothing would be impossible for them? Well, God is our creator, and faith is a gift and a power given to the human race by our God. And whenever it has been enacted, and whenever it has been maintained, amazing and terrible things have been accomplished. Faith is something humans have shown the power of over and over again. But there are limits to what we can do with faith alone, though they're smaller than we imagine they would be. Jesus suggests, however, that if our faith is directed towards God, nothing will be impossible for us. It's not sola fide, not faith alone, but fides in diem, faith in God, that releases the power of the universe. This mountain, probably the Mount of Olives, probably some allusion to the end of time. Faith in God. This idea of having that sustained, continual effort in the same direction pointed at God. Now finally, these two concepts that become very practical for us. Prayer and forgiveness. Look at verse 24 of our passage. Therefore, verse 24, I tell you, Whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Now we find out in other passages, sort of a caveat, but one I have to make a statement about. We find out in other passages of the New Testament what's only implied here. And that is that prayers that come from faith that's directed toward God will always necessarily be prayers that are consistent with God's will. So faith in God directs our prayers. But in this text, that caveat is somewhat muted. It's more overt in 1 John and some other places. Most likely because Jesus' insistence is that if we have faith in God, which expresses itself in trusting prayer, the same way that this man trusted in hammer and chisel, for 22 years. If we trust in prayer the way he trusted in that hammer and chisel, nothing will prove impossible for us. Unless, that is, we fail to be forgiving people. The tools of the kind of transformation Jesus is suggesting it's not hammer and chisel. It's prayer and forgiveness. And Jesus provides them hope in the midst of that devastating revelation that all of their worship was now null and void. If sacrifice and ritual would not assure God's presence with them 
and his power among them, then what now would? Faith in God, expressing itself in, to use the words of Paul, unceasing prayer. Hammer and chisel for 22 years, right? Unceasing prayer. And the extending of forgiveness to those who sin against us. If we were to express our faith in God along those lines, akin to the diligence it takes to move a mountain into the sea, Jesus suggests that that would set humanity free to accomplish all of what it dreams. What we have learned is that when a group of people solidified around a common vision, all joined together for the long, hard work of diligent, consistent effort in the same direction, you can literally put a mountain in the sea. You can literally put a man on the moon. Faith. But there's one thing that humanity has never been able to transform, even though we've had all this experience in transforming the world in which we live, we have never been able to transform the human heart. There's a proverb that's often attributed to ancient China, and it says this, Rivers and mountains may change, but human nature, never. Rivers and mountains may change, human nature, Never. The human heart has remained outside of our power to transform. But what Jesus suggests is that if our faithfulness is directed toward God, not only the work of our hands, but the heart out of which that work comes itself can become unbounded. And the tools of that sort of a sustained effort are prayer and forgiveness. And God is the only proper goal of the effort and the work. One of the greatest impediments to growth in the Christian life. Impatience. Faith is measured in decades and half centuries, sometimes over multiple generations, to see it done. This is the faith that moves mountains. This is the kind of prayer that will be answered. Maybe not in your lifetime, but it will be answered. If we can have the faith and not doubt, which is another way of saying, don't quit. But if you quit, if you doubt, you remain a slave. We know a lot more about what it looks like to quit than what it looks like to not give up. This is the faith for Jesus that transforms the world.